If you have a Bible, you're going to want to make your way to Nehemiah chapter 3. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We have our servants team. They'll bring one to you, and you can open up. And if you don't know where uh, Nehemiah is, uh, there's this thing called the table of contents in front of books. That's how you find it, Nehemiah chapter 3. I thought we would take the opportunity because we're reading through uh, the, our anchored series, which is reading through the Bible in two years. And because we're covering this section in the book of Nehemiah, there's probably not a better model for rebuilding a nation. That's the title of a four-part series. Uh, Saturday night was the first part, nine o'clock the second part. This is the third part. And then the one o'clock service will be the fourth part in this series, traveling from Nehemiah chapter one through chapter six and watching the leadership as God puts it in a man's heart to raise up a movement to rebuild... um, the city for God's people. And this is such an epic story because you see as you go through history, there's a cycle of human history. It just continues on because human nature goes through this experience. You're oppressed, you're in sin, you cry out to God, God forgives you, sets you free, your family and everything is blessed, you begin to prosper, you have this incredible peace. And then that next generation, they forget about God and they go into sin and they go into oppression. And then they go, oh, you know, my grandparents told me about Jesus and they come to Christ. And then they go into freedom and they go into peace and prosperity. If you want the best model for that in all the scriptures, it's the book of Judges. It's this cycle that happens over and over again. Fall in love with God, be blessed, prosper, have peace, forget God, go into oppression, poverty, and um, really the, the heartbreak of tyranny. So in that cycle, in the book of Nehemiah, that's what's happened. The children of Israel continued to turn their back on God, worship false gods, and so the Lord brought the Babylonians to judge them, took them into exile, and then the succession of different kingdoms from the the Babylonians, then the Medes and the Persians. And Cyrus, the king, who had been prophesied about in Isaiah 45, he sent back the people to rebuild the temple. You have to start with the heart if you're going to transform a life. We know that personally, right? We'll have no show of hands, but if you came from a life of addiction, right, you're a drug addict or you're uh, an alcoholic, that first discovery that I am powerless, I'm powerless to change my life. I need God's help. I need God's help. And you cry out to God and God fills you with his power and strength because when you humble yourself, then God meets you, and then you begin to rebuild your life. You see, this Old Testament picture is a picture like that. The nation is like a person that has forgotten God, and God is no longer at the center of their life, so then everything else begins to fall apart. The Lord says, seek me first, my kingdom and my righteousness, and I'll take care of the rest of the things in your life. But the opposite is true, too. You leave me last and I will distance myself from you, and I will let you just live in the squalor of your own bondage. Nehemiah is a guy that is the king's cupbearer to Xerxes. And a cupbearer is an individual that tastes the wine so that if anybody tries to assassinate the king, he's the guy that gets assassinated. So it's a person you've got to trust a lot, correct? So he's putting the, the cup of wine or anything he, any beverage He's putting that into the king's hand every single day, 24-7, whenever the king wants it. He's a very trusted individual. He's a Jew that loves God. And he has heard a recent report in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. He's heard a recent report 
about the devastation in Jerusalem. The walls are broken down, the gates are burned with fire, which is a picture, you see, of a life that's broken down. Walls and gates have a purpose. And if you think about it in your own life, walls is, is like the, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Self-control is allowing good things into my life and keeping bad things out, right? That's what self-control is. I'm gonna say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. That's what the fruit of the spirit is. So in this national life, when the walls are broken down, they're now letting in bad things and <laughs> rather than bringing in good things because their walls are broken down. They're a person that has lost all control. You know the, the cycle of an addict. They, they have no self-control and then they burn every bridge with their family and everybody else around them because of the constant um, relational abuse that takes place. But as soon as they get sober and they begin to rebuild their life, it's like the walls are going back up so that they can keep bad things up and the gates are on there to allow good things in. So for a nation this is true and you and I live in a time that the walls of our country have broken down. We're no longer able to keep bad things out. As we speak right now, they're closing down the airspace over Montana and Michigan because the fourth obstacle object in the sky is coming towards America. So they shot one down over South Carolina, they were North Carolina, they shot one down in Alaska, they shot one down in Canada, and now there's a new object coming in to America. We, we, we no longer have secure borders because of this whole ideology to let oppression in. Because when you have the wrong leaders in power that have no love for God, all of life gets turned upside down. And tyranny and oppression begin to rule. The story that came out that was leaked by the FBI this week from a whistleblower that a memo is going through the FBI. They figured out how to weaponize the FBI to criminalize Christians. And it is they are going to begin to investigate extremist Catholics, which, which will continue on. I mean, is that too much genuflecting? Or what, you know, what, what's the extreme? But that will become the extremist evangelical, the extremist Baptist. You just have to put the narrative to where now we're extremists. And you know why you're extremists? Because you believe that there's two genders. You believe that they should not mutilate children's bodies for transgender. You believe that climate change is a hysterical hysteria that as the article came out this week, a leading climate scientist said, Miami's going to be underwater. <laughs> They've only been saying that for 30 years, right? We're extremists when you're oriented towards truth and reality, you're an extremist if you will not believe the propaganda. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. Nehemiah has to go rebuild, and he has opposition to rebuilding God's work. But it's so inspiring as we look at this passage of Scripture because the Lord is going to do a work in our hearts and our lives. Well, hopefully you made your way to Nehemiah chapter 3. And because of the way this passage starts, I'm not going to have you stand for the reading of the word, but please, I hope you're at Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Let's pray for the Lord's help. Lord, we pray now that in your grace, your spirit would strengthen us. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. It is a sharp two-edged sword discerning thoughts and intents of the heart. It is 
the very bread and nutrition and nourishment for our soul. So Lord, may you illuminate your word to give us understanding that we may see wonderful things for our own hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Rebuilding of the nation, I'm using these four words as acronyms. We're on the word nation, and it starts with neighbors because we can't do this alone. No individual can do this alone. And Nehemiah has come from uh, the capital of the world empire to Jerusalem. He has now evaluated things and the walls that are broken down, the gates that are burned with fire, and he's inspired all the people that are in Jerusalem to rise up and build the walls, to build up their defenses. And you have to, if you're going to rebuild a nation, it's the building block of families and neighbors, right? That's what we are here in our own community. You have to start in your own backyard. And I've highlighted through this chapter three just some concepts because it's uh, more extensive than we're going to touch on. But some things that I want to point out, those who are going to give themselves to this work. In this room right now, we have people that are uh, pastors and teachers. We have those who are government workers. We have those who are in sales. We have those who are engineers. We have those who might work for a jewelry store. Whatever the dynamic, but uh, all of us are filled with faith in the Lord and on this same page to rebuild our nation, all of us have something to contribute. But I think, as it says in Peter, that judgment begins with the house of God. The hope for America is God's people in church churches across America. It's the only hope for America, I promise you. And that's why it's so sad that so many churches are not stepping up because I would say probably, uh, you know, only maybe one to 10% of churches are even speaking up. Every single weekend I have people asking me, hey, I live here. Is there a church like that? And they think it's our job to hunt down a church like this. We don't know where they're at, right? <laughs> they're, they're rare like unicorns. You go find one. We're right here, and we, we have our hands full, so if you've left, God bless you, but God's got to, you got to figure it out. <laughs> There's a, we don't have the corner on the market, and they're very few and far between. But I believe, as it says in verse 1, then Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hananel. It starts this chapter by saying the priests and their families stood up and said, we love God, we want to be free, we're tired of being oppressed. And people look to spiritual leadership in dark times because something has to be bigger than just bravado or heroic antics. You want the people that are leading you to be connected to the Almighty God. Because if they are not connected to the Almighty God, we're already toast. We're already history. We've got to reach outside of ourselves to a power greater than us. That is why the devil and all his minions and the progressive left want to crush the church because they know that, right? If they can keep you distanced from your relationship with God, if they can keep you apart, if they can censor you and shut down things as they did with uh, Newsmax taking out DirecTV and AT&T, they lost 13 million viewers overnight when they cut off them, the, the uh, uh, well, that's not good news. How's that good news? I, I think you misclapped. Is it possible to misclap? They, they censored this, this dynamic of uh, trying to cut off the voice that we have, a voice of reason and logic in dark times. And so they're doing it not so subtly, but in one week, according to an article I read this week, AT&T lost 10 billion 
in, in, uh, uh, as far as uh, their stocks on the wall, uh, uh, wall Street because of this. Because if you go woke, you go broke, right? They, <clears throat> they're asking Tim Allen to do the next Buzz Lightyear because the other one that was woke was a big fat flop, right? And so where, where are people standing up and who are they? I'm, I sincerely, passionately believe, maybe you're watching this online. And you're a pastor and a minister. And you, you want to speak up, but you're afraid. Why are they afraid? Well, that's very practical, you guys. I've been a pastor for a long time. They're going to lose half their church. They're going to lose half their revenues. Right? They'll lose half their staff. Those are all true things. Because the church is split down the middle. So they're going to lose half. But I encourage them to say, but what you miss is this is the corona revival. If you will stand up, you're going to get two to three times as many people, and they're going to be, <laughs> they're going to be more committed Christians, and they're going to be more committed to the love of our nation. So clear, have spring cleaning. <laughs> Let them go down the, the road with all the other uh, woke Jesus folks that don't, you know, that are basically moving away from truth and reality. Stand up and people will follow you. Stand up and people will follow you. So, there's this concept all the way through chapter three about neighbors. And is in verse four, next to them, Merimoth made repairs. Next to them, Meshalom made repairs. Next to them, Zadok made repairs. And so there's this, oh, I, I go out on, I start working on the wall, and then my neighbors see me and they start working on the wall. It's almost the same thing that happens with Christmas lights in a neighborhood, right? Somebody does a big deal on Christmas lights and you're like, great, now I gotta put some Christmas lights out. And you have those streets when you walk in, I mean, it's just like, Wah! it looks like Las Vegas in a neighborhood, a suburb of your, your, during Christmas time, because somebody's inspiring. Well, it's the same way in rebuilding this wall. Those who are next to it, and you go, oh, if they can do it, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. Because courage is contagious. But notice, even in the midst of us standing up and doing those things, in verse 5, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. Those who had places of influence and power, have you been discouraged by some people that are in the right place to do the right thing and they won't do it? Well, it doesn't stop those who are doing the right thing. I cannot worry about people that are not doing something. I have to do something myself. Because if I'm discouraged by them, it will deflate my boldness. I just, hey, I, I can only run in the lane that I have. They have to give an account for their life. And these nobles that have the, the power and they're in the right place, and the people that we see in Congress, and sometimes you're so discouraged about what they're doing, and you're wondering, what leverage do people have on them? How are they owned? How are they bribed? How are they connected to China? I mean, how are they giving up our nation because of their compromise? Well, all I can do is celebrate those who are standing up and those who are not owned. Next to them in verse 8, next to him, Uzael, one of the goldsmiths made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Here's a goldsmith. I mean, picture him with his little micro, you know. <laughs> he, he's got his magnifying glass and he's working on his jewelry. And, well, I'm, I'm a freedom fighter. I'm going to go out here and work on the wall. Or a perfumer, that that's their, their whole art and their trade. So 
this season has, has raised up people from the most unlikely sectors in life, hasn't it? It kind of blows us away. That there, here's, a, here's a mom, and now she's this incredible mama bear that's tenaciously fighting down there at the school board. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. That vocation, if you don't give understanding to your community, your vocation is dead in the water anyway. You've got to stand up for liberty so that you can continue to prosper with your jewelry store as a goldsmith or selling perfume, your Chanel number no. five, whatever it might be. These are people that are unlikely people that are giving themselves to the work because they're doing what they can do. And then there's these district leaders, that they're individuals that actually there's people that follow them and they have a bigger impact. Maybe you're an employer that has employees that are on the same page with you. You can have a bigger impact. That's why pastors and churches have congregations where they can have a bigger impact. They're called district leaders throughout this passage in verse 12. Shalom, uh, leader of the half district of Jerusalem, he and his daughters made repairs. And it goes through a list of other individuals that are also doing the same thing. Here's a district leader that has a group of people, and they're having a big impact. But this district leader realizes it's not enough just to lead my community. I need to lead my family. My, my girls are out there helping me. My daughters are out there helping me. You know, when I raised my kids, I had one simple thought when, they're, when they grew up. I wanted them to fall in love with a person that loved Jesus, right? I, I want my son and my daughter to fall in love with someone that loves Jesus. But now, if I was in this generation, they got to love Jesus. And now tell me about your politics. Right, Because we realize that there's this whole woke Jesus, this compromised kind of Christendom that doesn't line up with truth and reality. And it's kind of, it's kind of freaky. Because those, your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law, if they are basically have caught the academia virus, right? They went off to college as people that were sane, logical, and love God. And they came back anti-God illogical and climate change social justice warriors. You're like, I paid for that? Right, I, I gave money for you to brainwash my own kids and send them back for Thanksgiving? That should like rile you up. <laughs> Martin Luther, the great reformer said, I don't do anything well until I'm good and mad. <laughs> and sometimes there has to be a righteous indignation where you're like, what's going on? So this district leader, he has a bigger influence, but his greatest influence, my, my greatest treasure is my kids and my grandkids. I have a four-year-old granddaughter. She is totally precious. And my daughter, who is a wonderful, godly girl, is raising up these children in the ways of the Lord. And it was really funny. They live in upstate New York, but uh, the school had not notified them, the preschool where my daughter's going. It's a, a, a Christian school. They hadn't notified them that the school was closed for the day because the people didn't show up to plow the snow and put salt out for the ice. So they pulled in, and my daughter speaks out loud. She's like, oh, no, school's closed today. They didn't, you know, I didn't get a text or an email or anything. My granddaughter's four years old. She goes, it must be the spirit of the Lord because I didn't want to go to school today anyway. LAUGHTER <laughs> It's great to see your grandkids growing up, you know, understanding the spirit of the Lord, a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> we were rafting with my kids on uh, the Snake River, and it was almost at flood stage. It was a little scary. I probably shouldn't have been out there with my kids in this raft. And we were sent into these trees. And my daughter, at that time, 
who's now a mom herself, was six years old. And we go into the trees, and I said, everybody duck, because the trees from the bank were, like, poking out to get us. And, and it caught my daughter, has long blonde hair, and it caught her hair, and it, and it went, went up into the tree branch like that. And she's only six, but she's, since she was little, I've been reading the Bible to her. And she's, like, really loud. She goes, oh, no, Jesus, not like Absalom. Absalom died with his hair in the tree. I mean, you, you can't make that stuff up. It's just, like, inside of them, right? <laughs> truly a a father's heart and a grandfather's heart there's no greater treasure than my children and my grandchildren why are we so passionate brothers and sisters today for the next generation you know the generation before us faithfully handed off to us a country where you could freely worship Jesus and be free and shame on us if we give that up Nehemiah is making such a difference here. As we look at this, there is a point where people ask me, why don't people stand up? Or when will they stand up? Well, when it comes to their doorstep. Verse 23, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs opposite their house. Azariah made repairs by his house. Verse 28, the priests made repairs each in front of his own house. All you have to do to be a community is do what's out your front door. Is it the school board or wherever it is. It's for you to engage right next door. Some of the staff was showing me some funny videos this week of animal attacks that took place and how parents, because it came to their front door, a black bear ran in the backyard of this house. And so the mom's getting the dog inside and the kids inside and dad comes out and there's a bear in his backyard. And so the dad, this is all on his house cam. It's not like he's shooting this for footage. Right? It's just really happened, a bear in his backyard. And the dad comes out, and if you've ever heard this with black bears or smaller animals, make yourself big, right? So he comes out and he goes, to the black bear. And the black bear ran off, afraid. And he's out there actually, <laughs> it was quite humorous. You can check it out. Uh, the other video that the staff member showed me was a a girl, looks like she's about 11, is on her front step, and a raccoon comes up and attacks her and is, has a hold of her pant leg like this. And she's trying to kick it loose, and the mom comes out the front door, and here's this wild raccoon attacking her daughter. So the mom grabs it by the nap of the neck like this, pushes her daughter inside, and slings the, <laughs> she slings that raccoon as far away as she can. Over in Calabasas, if you read this story, that a five-year-old, a 65-pound mountain lion, attacked a little five-year-old and began to drag it out of the front yard over here in Calabasas. And the mom came out and started punching the thing, just going ballistic on the thing's head until it let go of the little kid. You see, that's a little bit like the times in which we live. When they show up on your doorstep, that's the time that you go, okay, it's on now. Right? When they try to do this to your kids in school, or they try to fire you at work, or they try to censor you, you now finally wake up and go, oh, I didn't realize. Now the fight is at my doorstep. As long as people right now can just go and, you know, I'm not on social media, I'm going under the radar, I'm not getting involved, just everybody leave me alone, they're just going to find you last, but they're still going to destroy you. So you have, a, you have a choice about how you step out into this world, and that's what Nehemiah is doing. Now, as he is the team leader, 
and the whole community outside of their door, the priests are involved, a person that is a goldsmith, a perfumer, a guy training his daughter how to be freedom fighters, and to stand up and rebuild his community. We can't rescue all the other 57 counties in California, but we can do something here in Ventura County, right? We can do something in our backyard. This is our community in which we are uh, living, and the A in this nation is accept and lean into this cultural war, because you have to accept it, understand it, lean into it, but it so happened when San Ballot heard, this is a public official, that we were rebuilding the wall and was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. If you're trying to do something good to build up God's kingdom, the enemy is there to humiliate you, mock you, laugh at you, lie about you. And they begin to, in this world of social media back in that day, right? The same thing's true. They just didn't have Twitter to do it or Instagram to do it. They're insulting the Jews. Now, Sam Tobiah and um, Geshem are the three individuals. They're public officials. Let's just say we'll call them the county supervisors. They're in charge of that area, and they now, because Nehemiah has a letter from the king to do what he's doing, they can't outright stop him, but they can try to discourage them, dishearten them, make them afraid, intimidate them, bully them so they stop on their own, so they start talking this trash. All the stuff that we hear about the smear and fear of our day and age, of how they try to shut us up and make fun of us, and to... Anything good that we try, it seems like the enemy's always right there to smack you in the nose and say, not so easy. Not so easy. I was just in doing some leadership training in Idaho last week, had some meetings. We had a meeting that well, it was a plan, supposed to be a planning meeting for an event that uh, Charlie Kirk and I are doing together in Idaho in April. And it turned into this, this person just kind of making it all about them. And by the end of the time we were together, we we're going to end up getting sued somehow. And uh, it's just like weird, like, we didn't see that coming. <laughs> right? we, we, yeah. And uh, Turning Point USA and Charlie, we're, we're good, but this person's going to come after us for nonsense, really. But it's just a distraction, right? It's just to, to discourage you from doing what you're doing in your community. When they do that to us, as they did to Nehemiah, I love what Nehemiah does. He tells God on them. You know when you grew up, I was the youngest of four, and my favorite phrase was, I'm telling mom. <laughs> right? When you're the youngest of four, you're small, you don't have power, you don't have strength, I'm telling mom. That's the only thing I had. So I was called the little, you know, a tattletale in the family. I'm like, whatever makes me survive, that's what I'm going to do. And Nehemiah does that. He's going to tell God, these people that are attacking us, this is called a precatory prayer, which means God, go get them. God, judge these people. Look what he says in verse 4. Hear, O, o our God, for we are despised. Turn the reproach on their own heads and give them a, 
as plunder to a land of captivity. They're trying to put us in oppression and bondage. Turn them over to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. They're trying to discourage your workers, Lord. Go get them. So I would just ask, are you praying for your detractors? The Lord says to pray for our enemies. So the way I pray for Gavin Newsom, the way I pray for President Biden and Nancy Pelosi and AOC is I pray, Lord, go get them. I pray, Lord, go get them and bring them to the end of themselves. Bring them to their knees so that they look up and say, Jesus is Lord, that you can fill them with wisdom, that they might be good representatives of your people. Now, and if that's, I'm praying for their salvation. You know, the Lord tells me to pray for them, so I'm praying for them that God gets a hold of them. So there's nothing wrong with saying, God, go get them. And bring them to the end of themselves. And we, you know, I don't think there's anything more radical than a person like that that becomes a Christian, really. Because they know the underbelly of that entire corruption. And when they come to Christ, they are unbelievable. Unbelievable. James Lindsay, who uh, has wrote Cynical Theories, is a friend of ours. He was an atheist. He's moved towards agnosticism, but he loves hanging out with Christians. So he's going to be saved pretty soon. He keeps messing around with us. But he was a part of the whole woke mob. He was a part of all of it. And I was asking him, him and I spent an hour together at a conference, and it was late at night, like, you know, 10 to 11 at night. We're just sitting on a patio. And I said, James, what turned you? If you were a progressive leftist, what turned you? And he goes, he got this big grin. He said, you're never going to guess. And I said, I probably won't. He goes, British Trump. And I said, what? He said, haven't you seen British Trump? Any of you seen British Trump? Yeah, we got a couple here. British Trump. Yeah, Todd, I should expect Todd to see. No, British Trump. Anyway, it's, it's all of Trump's rhetoric with a British accent, okay? And James Lindsay, he had been watching CNN. He basically got all the mainstream dope on everything, and so it was all skewed. It was all biased. So when he saw British Trump, he said, you know, when you change his accent from this obnoxious, abrasive New Yorker to a sophisticated Brit... He sounds brilliant. Really, I mean, that's what he said. He sounds brilliant. And, uh, and he said, when, he said, what happened from that is then I went in the last stories, he said, I began to go down the rabbit hole of all the stories I was hearing about Trump. They give this inflammatory, provocative statement, and when I went and watched the whole speech, none of them were true. None of them were true. And he said, I went down this rabbit hole and I went deeper and I did deeper and deeper and deeper. And the reality and the truth, he was so thunderstruck by it, it flipped him overnight. He was red-pilled by the truth. And so you never know what's going to turn somebody. That's why James is on the leading edge of standing up for America right now. At that conference, James went up and he shared, he's, here's an agnostic, at a conference for pastors, and he said, the great hope for America is the church. He said, I saw a vision of the church. All in or stay out, no golf claps. Okay, it's like, you know, like 
choose what's up, bring it or just shut up. So, and he said, I saw this picture and America was flying off a cliff and it had this huge chain with an anchor and the anchor was anchored in the house of God's people. And so afterwards, amen. So afterwards, I asked James, because, yeah, I mean, James, oh, I'm just having a wonderful relationship with him. I said, James, I said, that sounded awful prophetic from an agnostic. And I said, when did you get that vision? He said, 30 minutes before I went up on the stage. You see, when you turn in orientation towards truth and you start following that road, who's at the end of it? The Lord Jesus. Right? He's always at the end of the, the road of truth, always. And James is just on that road. And God is even downloading things into him right now, bringing him ever closer, ever closer, ever closer. It's so exciting because that's what God does when we turn people over to him. Now, we have to be intentional and persistent is the way forward in these hard times. Look at verse 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. You know, once this uh, train started moving, people were jumping on board. It happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. What does it say? That they became very angry. When we begin to stand up for truth and begin to work in our community and build a movement, it torques off the devil and all his servants on the left. They'd get angry with it because they've had this domain for so long, they don't know how to really react when they have to fight for it. And we're making them fight for it. Verse 8, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, to our God, tell, tell God on them. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So they want to make us afraid to shut us up. How are they going to make us afraid? They're, they're wanting to sue us. They're wanting to say this is going to happen to us. They're wanting to uh, uh, take out uh, basically a restraining order for us to come to church, whatever it might be, to, to intimidate. That's why my friend Mike McClure up in San Jose has $4.3 million in fines. They're finding him 10000 every Sunday. And then because they have a school, they come in and they interrogate all the teachers. It, it's like this, this uh, uh, the progressives left arm of the law. They use OSHA. They lose all these different things. They try to make you afraid because if they can intimidate you, Mike was making a stand in a church right down the street with 200 people. They also tried to make a stand, but as soon as their fines got to 200,000, they caved and said, okay, we give up, uncle. But Mike didn't. Now, it's been thrown out, so they're no longer adding up fines, but the judge has not removed the $4.3 million in fines because, hey, we're, we're going to take your building. We're going to bankrupt you. We're going to take everything you have. Because it's to intimidate you, to make you afraid. But we have to move forward overcoming these, uh, the obstacles and the fear, as we see in verses 10 through 15. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. You see, now they have the discouragement of the obstacles that are around them. There's so much rubbish, and the work is so much, and then they've got these people trying to intimidate them. Because it's usually not just one thing that crushes you, right? It's a, multi it's a number of points of pressure. 
Like, I, I got this going on in my family, and oh, the work's so exhausting. I got these people trashing me on Instagram. It's like all these different angles that take place that began to push us into a corner to make us ineffective. And maybe, maybe you're experiencing that right now. Maybe you're experiencing just multiple points of difficulty. And understand that oftentimes the enemy and his distraction is, is part of, that's part of his strategy to make you ineffective. Uh, isn't it fascinating? As soon as you stand up and say, I'm going to serve God, what begins to go wrong in your life all around you? You ever had that experience? I've had people say, you know, at the first of the year, I just determined I'm going to come to church every Sunday. And it's crazy, the crazy things that happen now every single Sunday. Right? This breaks. I go out and there's a flat tire. You know, wild dogs are dragging my children out of the backyard. I mean, it's like, now before, none of these things were going on because if you're not engaging, you're no threat. The best thing is to do is just soothe your brow and just keep you asleep. You just keep sleeping. Don't stand up. Don't speak up. But as soon as you make a decision, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to stand up for truth. Boom, 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 boom. Just realize, okay, <laughs> you thought you were walking onto a playground and you were walking onto a battlefield. <laughs> and so now the strength of the laborers, they're exhausted. And when we're, exhaustion makes cowards out of all of us, right? When you get tired, you just become a coward. You just stop wanting to fight. And you just go, what's the use? I talked to so many people, oh, I threw, you know, I threw my efforts into, you know, two, 2020 cycle of election or the midterms in 2020. I threw my effort, I threw my money, I threw my energy into it. And it didn't make any difference. Success is not about the outcome. It's about the faithfulness in the process. Duty is ours. The results are God's. So sometimes we need to take a break. Okay, I'm just going to take off. I mean, once the election was over, because we had thrown our energy into things. I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody for two months. I'm just like totally just fried from the whole thing, right? And after that, it's like, okay, we had a death, burial, and resurrection. This is resurrection morning. Let's wake back up, right? Let's move forward with new energy and new vigor. But that's, the older we get, we have less energy. That's why you have to be surrounded by these young guns that have a heart for this stuff and raise up this generation so these people are tired, and I understand being tired in the battle. Verse 11, and our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, now this is the trash talking, ten times for whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. We're coming after you. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, we're coming after you guys. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and I rose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Why should I not be afraid of them? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I am intimidated by people when I look at them horizontally, but when I look up to God, I'm like, they're nothing. But their desire through all their threats and trash talking is to get me absorbed in the conflict with humans. Rather to look to the divine power, if God is for me, who can be against me? There is nothing 
that God's people cannot do when they are in the center of his will, empowered by his divine power to accomplish for his kingdom's sake. And it doesn't matter what the devil says or what the radical left says or the political pundits or who's trying to intimidate us or what they're going to take for, from us. Because once you've realized that what we have, brothers and sisters, is worth living and dying for, the relationship with Jesus Christ and to live in a land that is free is worth living and dying for. And there's few things in this world that are worth living and dying for. And once you get to that place that, hey, I would rather give up anything, it really echoes and resonates for the first time in my life, in this season of life, Patrick Henry's radical words. Give me liberty or give me death. Right? Tyranny and oppression and all this other, I don't want it. I don't want it. Because once you get to that place, you're willing to lose everything. You're willing to use, lose your savings, your fortune, whatever it might be. I was talking with um, uh, K.J. McFarlane, who was the deputy to General Flynn. And she came up with a new book, and we were talking at the Council for National Policy. And she's been in politics, like, for 40 years. And her husband's a lawyer in this space. Well, she got arrested along with General Flynn in this whole desire to crush the, uh, basically the weaponization of the FBI against citizens. They came in, broke down her door, her husband, I mean, here she's this deputy secretary of, uh, um, was it, uh, Flynn was secretary of defense. And they arrest her, and she said, my husband-in-law, I, we, we, all of our life savings, you know, I mean, they're successful people. All, we spent everything, we almost lost everything for the sake of freedom. Now God is restoring things, and, but... It doesn't matter where you're at, you're going to pay a price. Nehemiah is trying to inspire these people. He said, don't be afraid of them. What are you going to do, kill me? Praise God. Right? You, you just gave me my ticket to heaven. <laughs> the revival in church history is based upon the seed of the martyrs. When people begin to suffer for their faith, the church becomes an explosive mean, lean preaching machine. But the church that is patronized through soft times like this last 40 years, that you're not even sure who's really saved. It's like this social club. The church patronizes the church impure, but the church persecuted is the church pure because I promise you nobody wants to hang out with us because they may go to jail. Right, so there's just, <laughs> it's the old adage from the Bible, underground Bible study in Russia and here, there's 20 people in this underground Bible study, and two guys in masks with AK-47s break in, and they say, okay, every, anybody that's not a real Christian, we're going to give you the chance to leave, because we're only going to take the lives of those real Christians. And about four or five, five people shuffled past them out the door, and then they took off, took off their masks, and they said, we're believers too, but we only wanted to worship with true believers. And we are headed, and people think I'm speaking in hyperbole. Do you see what's happening? The next 10 years, what's going to happen in the next 10 years is absolutely frightening unless there is a groundswell and movement across America, specifically from God's people. Amen. (laughs) 
I love Nehemiah's inspiration. He's a leader extraordinaire. He says, do not be afraid of them in verse 14. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. Fight for your family. Stand up because they're coming for them. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plan to nothing that all of us returned to the wall and everyone to his work. We went right back to work. Once they realized that they were exposed, and that's what the left hates. They hate their plans to be exposed. Now, the necessity requires weapons, tools, and vigilance. You know, there's an old adage, there's only one thing to do with uh, evil people. Lawyers, guns, and knives. <laughs> and they got some, they got some uh, uh, evil people in verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears, the shields, the bows, wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that, get this, they're working in construction. They loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher from this passage, he started a magazine called uh, The Sword and the Trowel. And that's what we're doing. And this is offensive to some people right now, especially in Christendom, that we are building with a tool, with a trowel, we're building God's kingdom. People are getting saved through God's word. They're getting baptized. They're falling in love with Jesus. Their lives are being transformed. But with the sword, we're fighting for freedom and liberty so we can continue to build God's kingdom. I have to have a trowel in one hand to build God's kingdom, and I have to have a sword to fight for liberty, which is the sword of truth. Not a physical weapon, though you might need one, the way things are going. But Jesus said, you know, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and go get a sword. So somebody said, here's two swords. He goes, that's sufficient. You know, you don't have to go full, full automatic Rambo, but it's okay. You got your sword. So you might want to have some way to defend yourself because the way things are going, not so much in Ventura County, but down in L.A., if you call 911, as we found out uh, at our Wednesday night uh, movie, that over in Simi Valley, if they get seven, seven, if they get seven 911 calls, they're totally maxed out. So if you're over there and something goes on, and you're the eighth, you're on your own, bro. You're on your own. So be able to take care of yourself and your family. But I love this picture, that they're working at building God's work, but they're also fighting for freedom in the realm of truth. In verse 18, every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. This is the means of communication in their day. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And isn't that what we heard the trumpet and the rallying cry for two years? We were arriving here. We were arriving there. We were arriving here. We were going there. Everywhere. Even the day that the church was going to open here, some 4,000 people from Christians from all over Southern California came and said, arrest us instead. They heard the trumpet call of God's people for faith and freedom. And so the same things are happening here in the story of the book of Nehemiah. And he says, when we gather together, you guys, our God will fight for us. There is more with us than with them as Elisha told his servant. He woke up in the morning and the servant looked out and they were surrounded on the mountains by the soldiers of the enemy. And he runs to Elisha and he says, Alas, master, we're surrounded by the, the enemies of Israel. And 
Elisha just rolls over, doesn't even get out of bed, just says, oh, Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opens Gehazi's eyes, and he sees that army surrounded by the chariots of fire of the angels of the Lord. There is more with us than with them. There is more of us, humanly speaking, than with them. They're a very small segment of psychos. (laughs) Delusional people disconnected from reality. Climate hysteria. Miami, if you saw the article, Miami's gonna be underwater very soon. They've been saying stuff like that for 30 years. It's ridiculous, right? Climate change. If you think about it in spiritual terminology, climate change is the worship of nature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. They worship nature, they don't worship God. Their sacrificial system, sacrificing children. Abortion. You saw at the State of the Union, radical Democrats took off their American flag on their lapel and they put a abortion. It says abortion with a heart. I love abortion. Child sacrifice. These things are spiritual in nature. But they make it, we're so progressive. You can just slaughter children, it's so progressive. We are so cool, we are so liberated. It's like, In what culture, in what time in history should not the strong watch out for the most vulnerable in society and stand up for children and stand up for their rights? But they say we're crazy because we believe male, female, and the covenant of marriage and raising our kids without your transgender garbage and not stuffing down our throats this social justice warrior garbage that you should be ashamed because of the content of the melanin in your skin, and you should teach your children to be ashamed of the color of their skin. I don't care what nation you're from or what color skin you're from, I would never ask a parent to shame their own child to be ashamed of the color of their skin, which they cannot change. It's ridiculous. And yet we live in this time that is saturated with this nonsense and garbage, and nobody stands up to say anything. Everybody just, yep, 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 that's the way it is. You have to be oriented towards truth and reality to stand in this battle. Verse 21, so we labored in the work and half the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. I mean, they're getting the work done and they got high security. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day, lest they go out into the country. They just, they gotta stay here, the work party. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. They had to go to sleep in their clothes. They had to sleep with their sword. They had to be ready day and night because of the intimidation that was going to come and attack them. The whole goal, you guys, is to make us afraid and run. Make us afraid, shut our mouth, and move to Texas. Run, run. And Forrest Gump said, and I kept running and running and running. You can be in an isolated part of southeast Kentucky in the mountains, nothing with a bunch of other hillbillies around you, and this fight will come to your doorstep sooner or later. So you might as well get oriented, connect with reality, embrace yourself, 
for the sake of the God you serve, your family that you love, and the community that you've connected with. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name, we are weak apart from you. In you, we are strong. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with courage. Fill us with an orientation towards reality and truth. Lord, we pray for our own community. We pray for this county of Ventura. Lord, we're praying that you would build up the walls of your grace that we might continue to enjoy faith and freedom in our community. I pray for the men and women in this room that are going tomorrow into hostile environments of work where they're uh, getting all of the diversity, equity, inclusion training that defies reality and truth and is the most prejudiced, biased that it could possibly be. And yet, to feed their families, they're going through this and spending so much energy to cram all this down our throat. But Lord, I pray that you would help us know who we are on the inside. I pray that you would give us wisdom in this coming year, 2023, Lord, we lay it at your feet and we ask that, would you just do exceedingly abundantly above the, all that we could ask or think, Lord? Lord, we're not coming because we deserve something. We're coming based upon the precious blood of Jesus that washed us from our sins. And the grace of God that is an unmerited favor towards us, your people. And Lord, we pray that you would look on the threats of those who are trying to shame us and despise us and humiliate us and make us afraid. And Lord, we pray that you would bring them to their knees, that they might meet you face to face as Saul of Tarsus did as he was hateful towards your people and you met him in radical conversion. I just pray in this year that there would be so many incredible radical conversions on those who are far from you now that join our ranks, that they would help us in this understanding in this cultural war. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on our nation. You told Abraham that if there was 10 righteous people in Sodom, you would not destroy it. And Lord, there's more than 10 righteous people in this room. So we pray that we could be salt and light to preserve and to, to share and declare the light of your love to a brokenhearted, lost community. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's